Uh, we come now in our studies of uh, uh, the Old Testament prophets, the minor prophets, to the book of uh, Haggai, or Haggai. Uh, I probably intermingle because I can't keep it straight, but um, the, the first thing I'd like to do is a, a, a broader introduction because we've, we've uh, done something that we haven't done before. Uh, we've jumped uh, almost uh, around a hundred years. The prophets that we've uh, looked at before uh, spoke of the Israel and Judah's uh, sins, and Israel went into exile, and then uh, Judah was promised that they would be going into exile as well. And uh, Haggai is a post-exilic prophet. He is after the exile. So all of God's promises about punishing them with the Babylonians, you remember Habakkuk? Habakkuk said, there's no justice around, and how can you punish uh, your nation with the wicked people. And God says, this, this is what I'm going to do. And we looked at that uh, verse right in the, in the middle, the righteous will live by his faith. And then Habakkuk's, uh, uh, his poem or his, uh, his, uh, his uh, desire at the end. And he says, even though there's no crops, there's none of this, I'm still going to trust in the Lord. Well, well uh, that's where we are. Uh, the land has been devastated. Habakkuk, Zephaniah, and Nahum, they finished in the, in the, the early 600s BC, and now we're, we're uh, roughly 100 years ahead. So the, the, the first thing is that historical movement in time. We've, we've moved up around uh, 100 years, and uh, Haggai begins in uh, around 520, because uh, there's, uh, there's time stamps. Uh, we'll see them in, in a moment. Uh, Yahweh's judgment has been executed on Judah and Jerusalem, and, and uh, uh, both the exiles and those that left behind uh, were devastated. And everything that we've seen so far uh, has pointed up to this. But if you just uh, look for a moment at uh, Lamentations uh, chapter 1, uh, this, this is what was left, and uh, this, is what, this is what Jeremiah saw. You remember Jeremiah overlaps. He speaks judgment. Uh, the Babylonians come, they take people away, and Jeremiah is one of the only ones left. He physically saw all the devastation. He says in Lamentations, how lonely sits the city that was great with people. She has become like a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become forced labor. She weeps bitterly in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. She has none of to comfort her among all her lovers. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and because of great slavery. She sits among the nations, but she has found no rest. All her pursuers have overtaken her in the midst of distress. The roads of Zion are in mourning because no one comes to the appointed times. All her gates are desolate, her priests are sighing, her virgins are grieving, and she herself is bitter. Her adversaries have become her masters, her enemies are complacent, for Yahweh has caused her grief because of the greatness of her transgressions. Her infants have gone away as captives before the adversary. Uh, it's amazing that uh, that uh, 
Lamentations has three chapters. Those were, those were only the first uh, five verses. And it's just uh, the, the land, the, the country is devastated. Uh, the, the princes became slaves. They're weeping with no one to comfort. Uh, the friends have become their enemy. And uh, it, it just goes on and on. But then restoration has begun. We're in the period when restoration has begun. Uh, Ezra is in progress, roughly 538 B.C. Uh, the first people were sent back. And uh, Yahweh promised the judgment, but he also promised uh, the restoration. Uh, the overarching restoration is the spiritual restoration in the new covenant. Remember, the, many, of the, uh, many of the prophets said, I'm going to bring you back to the land, but there's going to be another age coming. Micah says it's the age of the shepherd, the Messiah, uh, which will be uh, spiritually blessed. So it anticipates two things, and God will make it sure that it happens. But it's interesting to note, isn't it? Here they are under the control of other kings, and another king says, oh, I'm going to send you back. And it's God's timing, isn't it? Uh, Proverbs 21, 1, the, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wheresoever he wills. The, the beginning of Nehemiah, is, uh, which occurs a little bit later, is amazing to me. He gets a report from Judah, and they talk about the walls being, and, and he goes as the cupbearer, and he's sad to hear the news. And the king says, how come you're so sad? And he says, could I be happy when the, the walls are torn down? And the king says, well, well go do something about it. That, that's the Lord working. That's, that's God working. Amen. We, have to, we have to see that. This is an amazing thing. His cupbearer was sad and it ended up sending people back. Well, that's how God works. He turns the hands of kings. And so here we go into a more specific introduction and we meet Haggai. And his name means festal or festival. And it's kind of interesting. There's some uh, questions about that. Well, how did he get that name and why was he named that? Uh, it's possible that he was born during the captivity. And those who missed the feasts uh, uh, said, we're, we're going to name him Feast because we missed the feast. That's, you know that there's a psalm that, that says we, we're taunted. We're taunted by our captives who say, sing us the songs of Zion. And they, they, they had that, that uh, a bitter sense of, of uh, exile and that taunt. Or was he born during a festival? But also his name coincides with the restoration of feasts and temple worship. And I think if, uh, I think like some of the other prophets, it seemed like their name fit their prophecy. Their name fit their time. And, and to me, I would uh, think that, well, maybe that's why he was named that. Maybe his parents just liked the name. Nothing like the name Haggai, they said. And we'll name, we'll name, him, we'll name him Haggai. Uh, but, but five years later, and we'll see in Ezra, they hold the feast again. That's God saying, this is where I want to be with my people. I want to be in the temple. I want my people to worship. I want them to see my glory. It's the same for us. It's just, a, it's just a basic meeting here, isn't it? But we see his glory, like David said. 
I behold his glory in the temple. God gathers with his people. That's what happens. And they have a Passover and, and, they, have the, and they have the feast that lasts seven days. And, that, and that's what happens. So it's, it's just his name. The date is very, very specific and uh, uh, trackable. It's, it's confirmed in Ezra. The overview of Ezra is, I said, the work started in uh, 538. That's chapters 1 and 2. And the work was uh, halted by the enemies, and that's recorded in chapter 3 and 4. And then if you'll notice in the, the end of Ezra chapter 4, the, there is this, uh, is this uh, cycle. Enemies came and they stopped the work. And, and the end of uh, chapter 4, Ezra 4.24, then the work on the house of God stopped and it was stopped until the second year of the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. So, so there's the work stopped, but there's the time stamp. And then uh, Exodus, I mean, Ezra 5 verse 1. And the prophets Haggai and the prophet Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, uh, supporting them. So that's the, that's the time stamp. Eighteen years they were there. The work was stopped. The enemies complained. And, and then the second year of Darius comes, and, and, and the prophets supported it and, and helped it. So, so Ezra... Haggai and Zerubbabel are contemporaries, and Zerubbabel is the uh, governor. He's never called the, the king, although we'll see he's a descendant from David. He's never called the king, but Joshua, or Jeshua, as it's said in uh, Ezra, is, uh, the, is the priest. And, and so there's a, a prophet, there's a, a priest, and there's a king, a governor, uh, who are here. And the prophets were with them, and supported them. So there's clear dates, and there, there's also clear dates in uh, Haggai's message. It's, uh, it's the shortest prophecy that we have because his messages uh, occur in about three months or four months. Uh, notice, uh, notice Haggai 1 verse 1, the second year of Darius, and it says on the first day of the sixth month, uh, Haggai 1 verse 15, on the 24th day of the sixth month. There, that's his, his next sermon comes, if you would call it a sermon. Uh, Habakkuk 2 1, on the 21st day of the seventh month. Here's the next month, the 21st day. Uh, Haggai 2.10, uh, two prophecies in one day. On the 24th day of the ninth month. And Haggai 2.20, the 24th day of the ninth month. So from the 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth month, that's all his prophecy. And, and then he's, he's just gone. There's, there's nothing else said. The, the work was supported by Haggai and, uh, and Zechariah. And he preaches these five sermons in four months, and then there's nothing else said. Five prophecies, and he calls them the words of Yahweh. And they came to, to Haggai in four months. And the temple was finished in 515. So four months he preached, four or five years later, the temple is finished 
you could see Zechariah is going to uh, take over and, and carry that. And the, the temple completion is in Ezra chapter 6, verses 13 through uh, uh, 22. And uh, Darius is, is mentioned. He's used to, to bring this about. Uh, it built and profit, prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the, the prophet in, in chapter 6, verse 14. And Zechariah, the son of Edo, he mentions the prophets supported the people and encouraged them. And we'll see that's what his prophecy is all about. The third day of Adar and the sixth year of Darius. So the, the second year to the sixth year. And then there's a dedication. There's this massive sin offering. And it says Ezra set priests in their divisions as is written by Moses. And they go back to their roots. They go, they go back to, the, to celebrating. The Passover is held, that's one day, and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread is seven days. And that's where you could tie in Haggai's name. They're having feasts. Feasts are occurring back in Jerusalem. And, and, and that is all according to God's plan. If, if you do not turn from your sin, you'll be judged, and other nations will take you over. They didn't turn from their sins, and they were judged, and they were taken over. But the time for them to come back, and the restoration of the temple, is all in God's timetable. It's all in God's hands. And then, they had real joy in Ezra chapter 6 at the end. It says, they had real joy because Yahweh had made them joyful. They had sorrow all that time in the, in the exile, and now things are restored, and Yahweh made them joyful. And, and so next we'll look at major themes, and the, uh, in, in 38 verses you would say, well, well, how could you develop major themes in 38 verses? Well, there, there really are some. It, it, it's an amazing prophecy. I've been, uh, uh, been edified and strengthened in my own faith just to see uh, Haggai's uh, prophecy. Well, the first theme, uh, uh, as you would as you would imagine, is rebuild the temple. There's a time frame. It, it was stopped, and then it was started again. And Haggai and Zechariah said multiple times they supported it. They encouraged people uh, to do it. the The idea is to restore and renew the covenant sacrifices and worship. The idea is to bring the return of Yahweh's presence. Uh, with his people. Uh, notice chapter 1 and verse 13. I am with you, declares Yahweh. Chapter 2 and verse 5. My spirit remains in your midst. We just came from uh, prophecies that said, in the midst, in the midst, in the midst, over and over again. And uh, chapter 2, verse 7. I will fill this house with glory. Uh, that's the idea. That's the goal. The, the temple was supposed to be a, a true place of worship, a true place where God's glory was seen. Uh, secondly, uh, comes uh, the word uh, of Yahweh. And as I mentioned, uh, this is intense because in 38 verses of the prophecy, uh, Yahweh is mentioned 33 times in 38 verses, and Elohim, God, three times. And I'd just like to read the first chapter since we're going to study some of it, uh, but I have uh, a, a legacy 
a, a legacy standard Bible? Legacy standard Bible. Now, the legacy standard Bible translates Yahweh as Yahweh. And I love it, so I got one. But, but listen how intense it is. In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of Yahweh came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, This people says, The time has not come, even the time for the house of Yahweh to be rebuilt. Then the word of Yahweh came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies waste? So now, thus says Yahweh of hosts, Set your heart to consider your ways. You have sown much, but bring in little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, set your heart to consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and rebuild the house of God, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says Yahweh. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little, and you bring it home and it blows it away. Why, declares Yahweh of hosts, because of my house which lies waste, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has restrained its dew and the earth has restrained its produce. And I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain and the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on men, on cattle and all that labor in your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeho Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest with all the remnant of the people, listened to the voice of Yahweh their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as Yahweh their God had sent, and the people feared Yahweh. Then Haggai the messenger of Yahweh spoke by the commissioned message of Yahweh to the people, saying, I am with you, declares Yahweh. So Yahweh stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work on the house of Yahweh of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. So you see the intensity. Uh, and we, we don't, I like that because you don't have to try to figure out, well, Lord is capitalized, so that means Yahweh. You can just, you can just read it. But it's, it's powerful. 33 times in the, in the small book, His, Haggai's prophecy is saturated with God's covenant name. And that's important. When, when God first acted and he told Moses, here's my name, what did he say? Yahweh. Tell him I am who I am sent you. Well, well, what does that mean? It means I'm always there. It means I'm always uh, active. It means I'm eternal. And, and, and the uh, Exodus shows that he's powerful over it everything as well. Uh, but then there's other facets of uses. We, we heard some. God calls himself Yahweh of hosts 14 times. Uh, we've seen it before in the prophets. It recalls Isaiah's vision. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
That's what the angels declare all the time. That's what they declared in the presence of Isaiah. Uh, John, in John chapter 12, says that he actually saw the glory of Jesus as well. But then Isaiah's reaction is, my eyes have seen the king. Who? Yahweh of hosts. And we've mentioned it before. He uses these words over 60 times from that time in the prophecy, chapter 6, up to the end of Isaiah. Yahweh of hosts. Yahweh of hosts. What does it mean? That, that, that God controls everything. He's the God of absolutely everything. And, and, that's, and that's the point. I'm Yahweh of hosts. I'm Yahweh of hosts. I'm Yahweh of hosts. Who helps you in your difficulty? Who can help you in the next 100 years of your life? Who can bring you back and keep all the promises that they made for you? Only Yahweh of hosts. The next thing that we see is declares Yahweh. And, and remember, here's the... Here's the the, the, the phrase that Jeremiah repeats like a hundred times. Declares Yahweh, declares Yahweh. And this is used 12 times in this short prophecy. God speaks it. God speaks it. God speaks it. That, that's, he's driving it home to the people. This is what I wanted want you to do. This, this is who's declaring it. Not only Yahweh of hosts, but Yahweh who declares the Yahweh who could speak and things come into being. The Yahweh who can, can speak and execute everything that he said. You act wickedly, you'll go into, your enemies will take over, you'll go into exile. And at the right time, I'll bring you out and I'll put you back where, where you belong. The, the, God can do it. Declares Yahweh. It's interesting, it's used 12 times but six times in two verses, chapter 2, verse 4, and 2.23. 2.23 is very significant. We'll get into it when we have the, the, the exposition of it. It's a blessing on Zerubbabel. But chapter 2, verse 4, take courage, Zerubbabel. Uh, take courage, people in Joshua. Work, for I am with you. And he, and he says, declares Yahweh, declares Yahweh, declares Yahweh. Chapter 2, uh, verse 23, a, a, a verse that reminds us of what we've been seeing all the time. On that day, he says. On that day. Remember, what day? It's God's day. The, the day that God picked. When is it? We're not really sure. But it's coming. On that day, declares Yahweh of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. Declares Yahweh. There's the second time. And I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares Yahweh of hosts. He uses the, uh, both of them, declares Yahweh of hosts. These things are surely going to happen. What he's talking about there is, uh, is, is pre-Messianic. Because what has to happen eventually is you need a king and a prophet and a priest together. And he's telling Zerubbabel, this is all going to happen. You're going to be blessed. The king used to wear a signet ring. We'll talk about it later. And the, the, a ring was taken off one of the kings. And he says, Zerubbabel, I'm going to make you like that ring. Because my promises are going to be fulfilled. And you're going to be blessed. But it's on that day. The day that he uh, chooses. Uh, then 
then we go to uh, uh, Elohim. God is used three times in uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 12 and 14. Uh, and verse 12 says, Yahweh, there, Elohim, twice. Yahweh, there, God. There's no doubt. Verse 14, another combination. The Lord of hosts, their God. It's, uh, I, I just sat there at times and said, God really wants these people to know his name. He really wants them to know who's doing what. And I sat there and said, well, I better in my own life know who's active. I better know who controls everything. I should know who the Yahweh of hosts is. I should know that Yahweh is my God. And he does things uh, for me. Uh, Thus says Yahweh is used. Uh, chapter 1, verse 2, verse 5, verse 7, chapter 2, uh, uh, verse 6 and 11. Thus says the Lord, thus says Yahweh. So there's four things about God's name. It's, it's intense. And then Haggai's message, this prophecy then is overwhelmingly confirmed. He, he comes on the scene and he speaks for four months, but 30-something times he uses God's name. There's no doubt who Haggai speaks. That there is a, a unique formula because several times, three times, he says, by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Uh, please uh, notice chapter 1 and, and uh, chapter, verse 1 and verse 3. The, the second year of Darius the king in the first month, uh, the word of Yahweh came by the hand uh, of Haggai, the prophet. That's interesting because the, the word of prophecy comes by what? What part? The mouth by the hand but the hand the hand is used to to speak of work the hand is used to speak of what a, a person does what do i do with my hand what does god do with his hand he stretches his hand out he he holds nations in his hand uh, verse 3 then the word of yahweh came by the hand of the prophet saying so it's a unique uh, formula and uh, chapter 2 verse 10 it says it just came by haggai the prophet but God's word uh, came. It was God's voice and words in chapter 2 and verse 12. And chapter 2, verse 13, Haggai says, it's not only the message, but I'm the messenger. And so he knows, and he wants us to know, he's a messenger from God, and this is God's message. And he speaks of those different things. Uh, we learn that the prophetic word is the divine word. It's it's the word of Yahweh. It's the Yahweh of hosts word. Uh, his covenant dealings with the people then are also in full view. Judgment, restoration, the past covenant, the current and future. There's a eschatological uh, notes here also. Uh, there's a blessing and then his presence is in the temple. And then the, the new covenant is, is promised uh, also. Uh, we also see that God is sovereign uh, in all his works. Yahweh of hosts in all his works. He controls and rules over all nations and all rulers are under his control. He, he literally has done it again and, and moved nations around and determined their times. 
the, the kings, the kings that sent the people back are not Babylonian kings. Because Nahum said, I'm going to wipe Nineveh off the face of the map. And that's happened. Acts 17, you remember, Paul talks about God's sovereignty. He says, from the beginning, God set every nation and determined their times and boundaries. And we can look back. Where's Greece? Where's Rome? Where's Attila the Hun? In our own day, where's Pol Pot or Idi Amin? Where's Nasser? Where's the king, the queen? Where are all these rulers? Where are, where are countries that once their, their influence like Spain and Britain spread throughout the world? What happened to them? Because God determines all everything. The Yahweh of hosts determines. Uh, uh, finally, uh, under this Haggai's voice is Yahweh's voice. It, it underscores and reminds us also of the primacy of preaching because this fact has never stopped. 400 years in between Malachi and John the Baptist, that's the only time it seems that it, it ever stopped. That's amazing. In, if it was, if it was a play, if it was a drama, if it was, if it was anything, and there was a long pause, you would say, well, "The tension is killing me. What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next?" And then, and then John the Baptist comes, and says, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." But it reminds us of the primacy of preaching, the primacy of prophets, the, the primacy of us hearing God's word, the primacy of the fact that Jesus was first and foremost a preacher, a teacher, the primacy of the fact that Paul and the apostles, first of all, primarily preached and taught, and they sent out others uh, to preach and teach. God's appointed servants always speak his words to the people and into the world, and it it fulfills God's purposes. Acts chapter 17 again. What does Paul say is the responsibility for everybody. Everybody should repent and, and believe in Christ. God calls all men everywhere to repent and believe in Christ. That's the responsibility for all men. And this gives Haggai his confidence, his hope, and his purpose. And it's related to the past prophets one a writer says, this makes the message of Haggai relevant to his times and to all times. For it is the living word of God. It's the living word of God. And you can go through history and you can say, well, God is the God of their whole history. And look, he did exactly like he said. But you can also stamp that on your own heart too. And you can say, God is the God of my history. He's the God of my history. Well, what about all those difficult times you've been through? Well, that's, that's what happens. He's in difficult times, a very present help in trouble. Amen. Well, then, uh, next, there's covenantal themes. Uh, this is a, a covenantal history. And uh, you remember in our studies in Psalm 63, David says it's, it's not only declared... Uh, but it's demonstrated. But uh, covenant is only used one time in this prophecy in chapter 2 and verse 5. But God says, according to the covenant that I made with you 
when you came out of Egypt. And, and the worst thing you can do when you hear that is to just say, oh, yeah, they, yeah God brought them out of Egypt. You, you, you have to remember what happened. Reveals himself as Yahweh. Here's the people's cry. Calls Moses. Moses said, hey, I can't talk that well. All right? I'll get you somebody who could talk, but you're going. And they go. Let my people go. No. God says before anything happens, I'm going to harden that man's heart. He's not going to let you go anywhere. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to display my power without a doubt. And ten plagues come. If you read through them, if you read through them, in a sense, your heart is breaking by the end because you think, how could these people go through all these things? How could this happen to these people? But it demonstrates God's power. It demonstrates God's covenant. So just because covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt is only mentioned once, there's all sorts of things poured into it. It's deliverance through miraculous means, through ways that you would never, ever guess how in the world was Moses preserved do you ever think about that it's miraculous it's a child in a river in a basket how in the world does he become God's chosen leader because God orchestrates and controls everything and Pharaoh's daughter comes and somehow Moses mother ends up taking care of him how does that happen and he grows up, but Hebrews says, burning in his heart, there was faith. And he said, I don't want all this. I don't want all the deities of Pharaoh's house. I'd rather suffer with God's people. And he leads them out. He becomes the, a, a great leader. That's how they got out. He was a great leader. Mom, not moment after moment, but incident after incident, he was on his face, you might say, before the Lord saying, God, please. Please preserve them. You know how they are. I look at that. The pastor's heart says you would never want to pray that prayer. You would never want to say, God, please remember how stubborn these people are. It's heartbreaking. But Moses went there when? Again and again and again. And Jesus Christ goes for us. One time? No. Again and again and again. And the access that we have to the throne of grace means that we can go because our renewed hearts tell us, I'm stubborn, I'm sinful, I need grace, I need mercy. Not just Moses knows it, my redeemed heart knows it, my conscience knows it. The Spirit of God speaks to me and says, you need to ask forgiveness from God. But the good news is you have an advocate and you can go right to the throne of grace. It's not a small thing. Think of the many miracles in the wilderness. One of the most amazing things to me is how for 40 years do your clothes and your shoes never wear out? How is that possible? We have a discussion about some of my shirts. When are you going to get rid of this thing? It's, it stinks. Look at it. And I do. I have one you can see through both sides of the shirt. How do you make a shirt, clothing, and sandals never wear out? Because that's Yahweh. That's his power. That's his might. 
And that's just a thumbnail of what he did in the wilderness. How do you get water out of a rock? How does food come down out of heaven? How does a cloud follow one, one manifestation by day, one manifestation by night? God's covenant mercies are poured into this prophecy. Then there's the restoration of the temple and the king. Zerubbabel is a grandson of Jehoiakim and an heir to David. And God says, I'm going to make you like a signet ring. And that shows status and family lineage. I wear the ring that's passed down from king to king. But once the king was removed, Jeremiah 22, 24 to 27, we should turn and read. Maybe we will sometime, but the, the promise is fulfilled to David in the line of him being a king and being blessed, 2 Samuel chapter 7. There's always going to be a, a, a person in the line of David on the throne, and that's what's happening. And, and God says, by the way, Zerubbabel, I'm blessing you because you're like a signet. You're continuing, you're continuing uh, that line. But there's three people in office, as we mentioned. Haggai's the prophet, Joshua's the priest, and uh, Zerubbabel is called the governor. He's uh, the king, you might say. And, and then uh, this prophecy is messianic and eschatological. It, it anticipates and sets our sights on the Messiah, but it looks forward to the, the finishing up of all things. We, we've already seen in the return of the captivity and the, and the other prophets pointed to the return and the messianic age. If, if this restoration of the temple doesn't happen, the Messiah is not happening. We've seen that in all the other prophecies. That's basically what I mean. They pointed and pointed and pointed. The captivity is going to end and there's going to be a glorious age of restoration. Zerubbabel was blessed. The combined glory of the temple and the shaking of the nations in their gathering in looks to the most glorious expression of, of the temple, uh, and the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's, uh, uh, that's what God says in uh, chapter 2, verse six, verse 6. For this says Yahweh of hosts, Once more in a little while I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea, and the dry land. And he tells, uh, tells Zerubbabel that in verse 21 and verse 22. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones and kingdoms and destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations. And he's going to wrap things up. It's a reminder of Revelation. But we also see clearly that the temple is not going to be needed anymore. Jesus says that his body is the temple. or That's the picture he uses in John chapter 2. He cleans up the temple and they say, wait a minute. By what authority do you do these things? And he says, destroy this temple and raise it up in three days. He's talking about his body. The disciples mentioned it. We don't need a physical temple. Uh, we have Jesus. Uh, and uh, that's after he says, zeal for your house will consume me. Uh, but Hebrews 10 picks it up and he says, therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter where? The holy places. Well, nobody's allowed to go there except the high priest. No, 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 not anymore. Now every believer goes all the way to the throne of grace. Spiritual access to God by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way. Not a physical building, 
Remember the disciples? Oh, look at how nice this building is. He says, don't, don't get used to it. Don't get used to it. I'm going to take this apart. It, it never has been put back together. We don't need it to be put back together because we have access. We go to the, we go to the holy places by Jesus. The way that he opened through the curtain, that is his flesh. You remember, you remember the picture of the crucifixion, the, the, the curtain. That's the picture. You, you don't need a temple anymore. And Revelation, Revelation backs it up. The new Jerusalem is coming down. And, and look what it said. And I saw no temple. And the city, New Jerusalem, in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. That's what we're going to see. You don't need a temple. There's nothing to walk through. There's no priest to see except the Lord Jesus Christ. They're, they're, the way is paved because his, his blood is more than the blood of bulls and goats. There's not a succession of priests. There's only one priest, one sacrifice. Some of the errors that people come up with is just that they do not understand the book of Hebrews at all. And it just says, Christ, Christ, Christ. And it's perfect, perfect, perfect. And it's once for all. And that's all you need. And Revelation says there's no temple. Because God and Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. And there's no Son either. Because the, their glory will take over. And just quickly then, the, the eschatological notes are fulfilled when God takes everything apart. He says, in that day, I'm going to shake nations. I'm going to take it all apart. And, and that, looks, that looks to the end. That looks to Revelation 18, Revelation 19. Everything, everything is, is destroyed. All evil is destroyed. And in Revelation, God's people say, justice is done. And, and we're, we're thankful. The prostitute, the beast, the dragon, everything. Everything is subdued uh, by God Almighty, the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for this amazing prophecy. We're thankful that full of it is your demonstration of your help to your people. Full of it is the comfort that you desired them to have, to know that you are in their midst. Pray that we would know that today in Jesus' name. Amen.